coming for being here this morning if you are new if you're visiting us for the first time I extend to you a welcome a warm embrace hug and I want to tell you a little bit about me if you don't know me my name is Paula Armfield also known as Paula Sirley Gonzalez Pardo <laughs> that's my my full name and I have been a follower of Christ for 14 years that's crazy it's almost half of my life and I was born in Colombia, South America, grew up there, raised there, all of my family is in Colombia. And I came to the States for college about 11 years ago. And ever since I've lived in the States, uh, I've been a part of the Emmaus family along with my husband and our girls for about a year, a little over a year. And truly, from the bottom of my heart, I, I can tell this, it was from God. And you have been a huge blessing in our life and our answer to a lot of prayers we didn't even know we needed. So a little bit about our passion with, with Zach. The Lord has taken us through a lot of ups and downs, highs and lows, but we have had a consistent passion to see the kingdom of God take form in different contexts, cultures, backgrounds, and transform people that look and talk and think vastly different from us. And because of that path and that trajectory, trajectory the Lord has brought, it to, brought us to interact with people from different backgrounds, cultures, believers from different nations. And here I am today talking to believers in the south of the United States, which I had never done before. So I'm very excited. We're going to read the scriptures. And today I'm going to ask you to do this a little differently. I'm not going to ask you to turn in your Bibles. It's not going to be up there. But we're going to have a different way of, of receiving today. That's perhaps foreign to a lot of us, but not as foreign to a lot of the world. So I'm going to read our text, and I'm going to ask you to, every time you hear the word you, actually think of it as y'all, right? And do not receive this as, oh, it's for me this morning here in this corner of my pew. But this is for us, which is how this text would have been read to its original audience, the Ephesians. So take your imagination there and think we are listening to this message together. Here it is. Ephesians 4. Therefore I, a prisoner for serving the Lord, beg you to lead a life worthy of your calling. For you have been called by God. Always be humble and gentle. Be patient with each other, making allowance for each other's faults because of your love. Make every effort to keep yourselves united in the spirit, binding yourselves together with peace. For there is one body and one spirit, just as you have been called to one glorious hope for the future. Now these are the gifts Christ gave to the church, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and the pastors and teachers. Their responsibility is to equip God's people to do his work and build up the church, the body of Christ. This will continue until we all come to such unity in our faith and knowledge of God, of God's Son, that we will be mature in the Lord, measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ. Then we will no longer be immature like children. We won't be tossed and blown about by every wind of new teaching. We will not be influenced when people try to trick us with lies so clever 
that they sound like the truth. Instead, we will speak the truth in love, growing in every way more and more like Christ, who is the head of his body, the church. He makes the whole body fit together perfectly. As each part does its own special work, it helps the other parts grow so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. This is the word of the Lord. What are topics that make you feel uncomfortable? Or in a very American translation of uncomfortable, awkward. That you don't quite know what to do with. Or perhaps you prefer to avoid because they're offensive or just bring you some, some sort of discomfort. During this time together, we will bring to light some ideas, some realities that perhaps can be offensive or awkward or even difficult to believe or to see. And I have a cartoon for you that I found on the internet that I I would like to, to share with you. Look at that. An inconvenient truth. Empty. Empty line. A reassuring light. Yes, let's all go there. Right? That happens. That's That's us. What are some of those topics, ideas that you prefer to avoid? Perhaps the whole concept of truth versus lie, good versus bad, right versus wrong. Our culture says, you do you. You live and let others live. That's very convenient, right? What does our culture give? Influencers, channels, accounts, videos, blogs, books, articles that constantly feed us thoughts about these ideas and offer us the notion of you get to choose what works for you. A lot of people go that line. How about love and community? What does our culture say about that? Love, perhaps, is a feeling, a desire. It's equated with being tolerant, right? You accept me as I am for who I believe I am. And our culture praises the idea of community as long as that community gives me freedom to be whatever I desire. Desires. What about that one? what we most want, and how we seek to attain that. Our time, our money, our sexuality, our material possessions, the habits that we practice. Our culture and our flesh say, who are you to tell me how to live? I'll do whatever works for me. I'm free to seek my own happiness. And last but not least, and this one, believe me, is not talked about in this culture at all, but in many others in the world, it is a very present reality, the spiritual realm. Spiritual forces of evil that blind us. Spiritual forces of evil behind people, ideas, governments, social, global personal decisions that are seeking to thwart and distort what God's good purpose is for his creation and for humanity. So as you hear this morning, whatever the spirit has to tell you, I'm going to ask you to take whatever the Lord has for us as a community, as a new pair of glasses. I have a lot of glasses. I have like 15 pairs, not because I'm obsessive about glasses, but because my mom is an eye doctor. So every time I go to Colombia, that's the gift I get. Uh, But receive it as a new pair of glasses through which we are inviting you to look through reality. Now, we hear the word invitation and we think, oh, cool. God is inviting me to this so I can choose to accept or deny the invitation. But behind every invitation from God, there is an urgent call. So when you hear invitation, don't just think, ah, we'll see. It's an urgent call full of the type of love that seeks the blessing, that seeks the goodwill of the other. So with that, who was Paul telling This one command, speaking the truth of love, we are to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head, that is Christ. 
let's talk a little bit about the context of these words. I have a, a picture for you here. So it, I'm, I'm very visual, so I love to have pictures. Here's Paul, right? The city of Ephesus. Ephesus was a coastal city in the Roman province of Asia, modern-day Turkey, right? And it was a major harbor. It was very interconnected. It had highways that would go to different cities in the empire. And it was one of the most accessible cities of the empire in Asia by land and sea. Because of that, it was the center of commerce, philosophy, worship for Greek and Roman gods. And as you hear this, perhaps you think, oh, that's what they say about every other church, every other city <laughs> that these letters were written to. But it's significant because for two years, Paul remained among this people, among this um, culture, preaching, teaching to both Jews and Gentiles in the public sphere, but also in private homes. And not by himself, always with other believers that were in Ephesus. Now, Ephesus was not just a commercial epicenter, but an epicenter of worship to a goddess. Let's take a look at her. Artemis, Diana. The temple of this goddess was the heart of the city of Ephesus. It brought them material wealth, identity, trade, with the exchange of shrines, portable little Artemis, Diana shrines that you could take home and, and worship. And it was a big part of the identity, actually, because of everything that Paul was saying and teaching. A big riot was formed. What did they end up saying at the end? This is in Acts 19, if you want to read that story. Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. This is our identity. This is who we, we claim we follow. This is our provision, our identity, and our sense of unity. Now, Paul, because of this reality, his, his work and the work of other believers were not just, was not just through the debate, conversation, you know, cool ideas over coffee, but it was with the demonstration of the authority and victory of Jesus over the kingdom of, God, of darkness, which the Ephesians were very familiar with. They lived in this. Listen to this story from Acts 19. God was performing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul so that the handkerchiefs or aprons were even from his body to the sick, and the diseases left them, and the evil spirits went out. This became known to all who lived in Ephesus, both Jews and Greeks, and fear fell upon them all. And the name of the Lord Jesus was being magnified. Also, many of those who had believed kept coming, confessing, disclosing their practices. And many of those who practiced magic brought their books together and began burning them in the sight of everyone. And they added up the prices of the books and found it to be 50,000 pieces of silver, which in today's money is like millions of dollar, dollars. So the word of the Lord was growing and prevailing mightily. So this was a real, real revolution. The things the followers of the way were saying and doing caused, in the words of Acts, no little disturbance. Their proclamation of reality with Jesus as king and God, their demonstrations of power through the Holy Spirit were offensive, inconvenient, intrusive in every sphere of society, social, economic, religious, and for every power, both human and spiritual. So it is here in Ephesus that a church is planted. And Paul is telling to these people, you have to live in direct contrast to everything else that is around you. Therefore, let's take a look at what Paul says. I, the prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called. I just invite you, urge you. Please listen to me. This is an urgent, urgent request. What is that worthy calling? 
Therefore, I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of this calling that you have been called to. Their life together, the life of the Ephesian church, was not isolated from the bigger cosmic plan of God that he had planned from the beginning of time. A plan for the fullness of time to unite in him all things, things in heaven and things on earth. Again, these two realms becoming one through his people and in the sun. Does this ring a bell? Didn't we talk about dwelling in his presence in our first series this year? Or his glory being among us, thin places? This is all in the heart of God. The plan of God from the beginning has been to create a multi-ethnic, multi-generational family in Christ by means of his sacrifice so that we might become a blessing to the nations. A unified family of restored humans that display the light, the love, the truth of God and displace and expose the lies of the kingdom of darkness and defeat it so that all creation can begin to enjoy the good purpose, the design, the beauty, the rest of God. This is the calling. This is the worthy calling, not just the Ephesian church, but of Emmaus church. Here and now, today, 2023. This is the calling. And Paul goes on to say, you know, this is precious. This is a precious calling. Why? Because of what he told them before. Remember where you were, Ephesians. Remember where you were, Emmaus church. Dead in scenes. Following the course of this world. Following the prince of the power of the air. Listen, this is a reality. Sometimes we think, no, that's for other cultures, right? That's a different way to see the world, but well, we're better than that. We are more advanced, perhaps. We're very rational. We, we can think, think things through and come up with good ideas. But he's saying, no, you, you, you are under a power that is beyond you. Living in the passions of your flesh, doing whatever you want in your body, slaves to the flesh, the world, the prince of the power of the air. That's a reality. But enter God's grace. Now you are alive, saved and brought into the kingdom of God, sealed with God in Christ, in heavenly places, seated. Members of the household of God. Now you are not foreigners. And that rings true to me to the core because I end up feeling foreign everywhere I go now. And he says, you're no longer foreigners. You're members. We are members. Look around. We have perhaps nothing in common. You perhaps would have never listened to a Colombian speaking to you if it wasn't for this reality. So because of this amazing plan, this amazing calling, this family that we are now a part of, he's saying, you have to live in this reality. You have to live in truth. You cannot keep walking between darkness and light like it is some sort of option. You have to live in the reality of who you are, Ephesians, Emmaus Church. Now, to talk about truth, it is necessary to expose the lie. So let's take a look at how the one who claimed to be the way, the truth, and the life exposed the lie. Question, how do people identify fake money? Who knows? How do people learn to identify fake money? Well, by studying and interacting with true, real money and knowing it so well that it's easy to identify the fake. You have to be acquainted with the real thing to know what the fake one looks or feels like. And what is the strategy of counterfeiters to make good fake money? Monopoly money? No, of course not. We know that's fake. But to make it as close to the similar as possible. That's the strategy. 
definition of truth. What is truth? The, the question, right? The question that we all wish we knew. Easy. Reality. True is reality. Truth, whatever is in accordance with fact or reality. That's true. Listen to this definition of da by Wal Dallas Willard. Truth reveals reality. And reality can be described as what we humans run into when we are wrong. Easy. I think about um, Isabella. We're making pancakes this morning and we tell her, don't touch the stove because it's hot and you will get burned if you do. She looks at us, touches it. What happened? She ran into truth, into reality. She burned her hand and was crying, mommy, mommy, mommy. I told you, we told you, reality. Let's read from the words of Jesus, and the words are here, but if you're in your Bibles and you want to turn to John 8, what did he say about this? John 8. Verses 31, 37, and then 43 and 44. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. They answered him, We are offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. I know that you are offspring of Abraham, yet you seek to kill me because of my words find no place in you. And let's take a look how Jesus exposed the lie. Why do you not understand what I say? Is it because you cannot bear to hear my word? You are of your father, the devil. And your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. But because I tell you the truth, you do not believe me. Woo! Jesus, what a way to speak truth in a very inconvenient and dangerous way, because literally this type of truth revealing is what got him killed. Did you, did you see all the connections between truth, family, becoming, origin? And he says, you know, the lie has a specific source. And it is a being. Let's take a look. That's what we think of when we think of the enemy, right? <laughs> Some sort of, you know, evil little thing, angel that is there animating or telling you to eat the ice cream that you know you shouldn't be eating. And let me tell you, that's not true. <laughs> that's not how Jesus presented the enemy. That devil, devil means deceiver, liar. In Hebrew, the Satan, which is not a name, we call him Satan as it is, oh, his personal name, Satan. No, the Satan means the adversary. This being constantly opposing the truth of God. And his strategy, friends, has not changed since, since the beginning. Since the beginning until today, it has remained the same. Think of the Garden of Eden, humans together, enjoying God, enjoying his presence with perfect provision, with perfect relationship, meaning, purpose. And God tells them, children, you may eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely 
die? What did the serpent do? What is the strategy of this being? An idea with a seed of doubt. He approached one. He didn't approach both. He approached one in isolation from community. And he says to the woman, did God actually say? Did he actually say that? You shall not eat of any tree in the garden? Wrong. God had said you can actually eat of any tree but this one. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die after she entertains a conversation with the serpent. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. In other words, God is a liar. His way is not true. You can reach that status of likeness to God on your own terms. And always the deception of the serpent is the same. Lies about who God is, who we are, and about the blessing, the good life. Who God is. God is not good and does not have the best intention for you. There's always someone better, smarter, an easier way, an easier way to digest truth. You figure it out on your own. Lies about who we are. You can be like God without God. It lies about blessing and good life. We all want that, don't we? You can choose your own, your best destiny. And then we end up with these conflicting desires because we still have the image of God within us. But there's this other desire that just does not let us enter into communion with God to find that good life. What's the consequence of this in the story? Hiding, fear, guilt, isolation. Remember this, friends. In God's family, this beautiful plan of God, we see clearly and we're invited to grow into the one who is the truth, Jesus. In the context of family, in isolation, we are easy praise to the father of lies, the prince of the power of the air. It is true. It is true. And I have seen him at work in ways that I have never seen him here in the States, but in my own family of origin. And I can say this is true because I heard him speak through one of my family members in a time of darkness and say, I want to destroy this family. And I don't mean to spook you out. I don't know. I don't mean to cause fear, but just the realization that it is true. It is real. So don't dismiss that, guys. How do we do this, friends? How do we grow into Christ by speaking truth to one another? Let's return to Ephesians and see what, what Paul told them. He gave apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers. God didn't tell us, go speak your truth on your own. No. He gave us gifts. And yes, the gifts that he gives us are personal. Each one of you has one. But here in this context, what Paul is saying is the gifts are people. Do you catch that? He didn't say the gifts are prophesying or speaking in tongues or discerning, which are true. And there's a place for that, of course. But here he's saying people are your gift. And he's mentioning people in in this case. Apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, teachers. So my, my call today is don't get so caught up in what's, what's my gift, Lord? Can you give me more gifts? 
But look around, like right now, look around. Look around this room. They are the gift. They are the gift. Teachers, apostles, prophets, people are the gifts. What is the purpose? To equip you to serve. Every time someone stands here to teach, please don't take it as, oh, that's great. Great sermon, super fed, go on with your life. No, it's to equip you to serve. And the goal is to look more like Christ. Not to come up here and say, oh yeah, that's great, great idea. I want to be more like that. No, it's to grow and become more like Christ together. To become, become more and more that thin place we were talking about. That dwelling place, that glorious place to become more of that. That's the goal. Now, in a family, not in isolation, you find belonging, identity, protection, correction. Let, give me, let me give you an example from how we try to parent our daughters. We aren't perfect and we're learning a lot, but there's something that we think we're doing right. And Every time she disobeys, so far Isabella only, because Lily is a baby, but every time she does something wrong, we tell her, Isabella, now remember, and we have picked five values. So instead of telling her, be patient, you, we say, remember, in this family, we are patient. In this family, we're kind. In this family, we're generous, Isabella. Remember that. So she understands there's a sense of, we're in this together, and this is what defines us, Isabella. Sometimes it works. Sometimes it doesn't. But <laughs> sometimes we end up hearing, I don't want to be patient. But the other day, I can't remember if it was Zach or myself, she did something wrong, and one of us responded with impatient anger. You know what she said? Mommy, in this family, we're patient. <laughs> we were both like, <laughs> but you know what that showed me? Opens us as parents to her accountability. And that's so humbling that because we put it in the context of this is who we are because of who God is, a two-year-old can tell me, this family with patient and kind mommy. <laughs> and that is what it is. That's what a family does. Now, Paul, in verse 14, says, so that you may no longer be children, tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, but every type of lie that sounds like truth. He is telling them, instead of being naive and aware, inconsistent, like a ship in the ocean, easily influenced by lies, this is what you do. Speaking truth in love. Speaking truth in love is necessary for this purpose. Now, we seem to think that truth and love oppose each other. And that is the question, right? Well, how? How do you do that? In our context, in this, especially the American context, it's better to either speak your truth and then, uh, if you love me, you accept it, period, bye. I speak my mind, that's truth. Well, that's not what the scriptures are inviting us into or calling us to do. Because the Paul who said this is also the Paul who wrote to the Corinthians, love rejoices with what? With the truth. So there's a perfect connection between the two. They're not opposed. That's a lie. That's a lie from the enemy. That if you love, you don't speak. That if you love, you just let them be them. That's not true. That's called neglect. That's called neglect. That's not called love. Instead, truth is how you speak in love. 
And the truth must be spoken in this way. Humility, gentleness, patience, bearing with one another in love. That's how you speak truth. Keep this in mind. If you forget everything I said today, but you remember this one thing. The purpose of this speaking truth is not community, but maturity. Not just community. Yes, community, sharing life is part of it, but that's not the purpose. The purpose is maturity. And I, oh, it's not there, but I had made it a little bigger, the word maturity, to show that it's this constant sense of growth, of growth, growing into Christ-likeness. A Christ who spoke truths all the time. Look it up. Every time he said, truly, truly, I say to you, and you will find a lot of treasures. Truths that were difficult to accept. Truths that were hard to hear. Truths that were honoring to the humble, to those that were overlooked, children, women, sinners. Truths that were encouraging. Truths that were offensive and even dangerous. That's the Christ we're trying to become more like. How do we do this practically in our community, in our family that is Emmaus Church? I came up with this list. If the Spirit is asking you to add something there, please do. You know where you're at. But these are very practical, practical ways in which we can speak truth to one another. Now, notice the verb, speak. We have to speak. This is not about silence. This is not about just, oh, okay, I'll pray for you and I'll hope you grow. Speak the truth in love. That's what it means. Speak. The God who brought the world into existence from his word, from his speaking, is asking you to speak. In this context, first conversations. What is the context of our conversations? What is the depth of our conversations? And let me mention some examples from Ephesians where Paul describes how the conversation among them should be. Having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Let no corrupt talk come out of your mouth, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. Sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among the saints. Let there be no filthiness, no foolish talk, no crude joking, which are out of place, but instead let there be Thanksgiving. Talk to one another, addressing one another in psalms, hymns, spiritual songs, singing, making melody, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father. These are some examples. Do our conversations mirror this? Are they full of this? I'm not saying you cannot talk about fun things or the weather. That, that's good. But there has to be some sort of depth that perhaps could be lacking. But it goes beyond conversation. That's one aspect. And the second one, clear communication and conflict resolution is actually a, a bullet point, a category that I just added this week. After a friend, a member from this community approached us to address something in a way that was so truthful that I said, okay, Lord, I think you want to bring this up too. Clear communication and conflict resolution. Now, talk about that in the context of different cultures. Oh, boy. It's intense. 
because people have different ways to express, to talk, to deal with conflict. And let me tell you, when you look at Italians speaking or even Colombians speaking, often I hear from Americans, they're so mad at each other. They're so like rude, but not necessarily. It's just this idea that conflict is good, that you need to speak, that it's a good opportunity for growth. You might do life together and be a healthy family, but it's still hard to communicate. It's, it's hard to resolve conflict and express your thoughts. We often assume we know people's intentions or thoughts. And when we don't talk, when people offend us and we just, just store things in our heart, we are letting those seeds of bitterness grow and grow and grow until we say, you know what? This is not my community. I'm just going to find somewhere else, different, whatever, house, church, church, that better fits me, that, that fits me. That's not the way of truth. That is not the way of truth. If people offend you, go. Approach them in love, in gentleness, but do it for the purpose of unity, not just to lash out. That's not the essence of it. And speak. Next, confiding and confessing. Something we have brought up many times during the season of Lent. Confiding and confessing. Bringing sin to light. Now hear this in the context of what we just talked about. The worthy calling. The father of lies and his strategy. This is life or death. This is not an option. There's a really good quote. Thank you, Spencer, for sharing this quote with me. By Rich Velotas. Confession is not a mere confession of wrongdoing. It is a confession of our true selves. It is an act of vulnerability and transparency, an acknowledgement of our need for God's mercy and grace, and a recognition of our interconnectedness with others. That's so good. You know why? Because it's not just about you saying, oops, my bad. And then someone else saying, ah, don't worry, I do that too. That's not it. That's not it. It's about opening yourself, exposing darkness so light might come in. When does this happen? I'm not asking you to do it right now here in front of everybody or even in your 12, 13 people house church, this happens in smaller communities. Discipleship bands is a new concept that I've been hearing about. And it's so true. Even Jesus had it. Even Jesus had a smaller core group, two or three. Listen to the message and what it says about this issue. John 3. Everyone who makes a practice of doing evil, addicted to denial and illusion. In other words, addicted to lies, hates God light and won't come near it, fearing a painful exposure. Isn't that true? But anyone working and living in truth and reality welcomes God light. So the work can be seen for the God work it is. Truth liberates family. Our culture will tell you all the time, Truth and slaves, who are used to say what truth is, you're just making people more oppressed and more miserable. But what did Jesus say? Truth will set you free. Free. Now, last but not least, and this one I love, and I'm learning to do it more in love and not just you need to be told what you're doing wrong. A second, attest to this reality. Correction and counsel. Correction and counsel. Earnest advice. Actually speaking the truth. And let me make a clarification. This is not the same as church hurt. This is not the same as judging, which means giving a stance and a final predicament or definition of who you are. Like, 
This is who you are, period. You're never going to change. That's judgment. This is not what speaking truth and love is about. Instead, it's helping one another identify lies and expose them. Expose them to the truth. And I think we're very good at sharing sometimes. This is what I'm struggling with. But then we don't go the extra step of, have you considered this? If we're left just with, yeah, me too. Okay, bye. There's no room for growth. You have to speak, but you have to be filled with truth. Friends, if you're always just receiving content and information from social media, from all the distractions of, of, of our time and our culture, your mouth will speak of the contents of your heart. You will not have much to give. So how do we do that? We are filled with his word. We're filled with his presence. We, we're constantly seeking to grow in the knowledge of him so that we when we come and do this life together thing, we have something wise, something truthful to say about decisions, about patterns of sin, about situations. And let me give you an analogy of a tea bag. When you see a tea bag, you don't know the content until what? Hot water is poured into it, right? And when the hot water comes, this was green tea. This was matcha tea. I don't know. Whatever it is. But you need that contact with the hot water. And we all go through hot waters in life. Difficulties. Death. Transitions. Um, relationships that are difficult to work through. Different, difficult to bring together. You know what those are in your experience. But that's why the body of Christ is there for. To help you. Realize the truth or the lie. What are we believing about God and what is true about God? What are we believing about ourselves and what is true about ourselves? What are we believing about the good life and what is actually true from a kingdom perspective? You need other voices for that. Not just you. Not just you in your quiet time. Now, there they are. Let's take a look at them. Conversations, communication, conflict resolution, Confiding and confessing, counseling and correction. It's necessary. It's necessary. Now, a little bit of a, of a disclaimer before we, we end our time together. We all have blind spots. And your ability to practice this will diminish and diminish and diminish if you only surround yourself with people that speak like you, talk like you, dress like you, like the things you like, spend their free time and the way you spend your free time. When you create an echo chamber and all you hear is affirmation, yes, 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 be careful. When we were talking about honoring, that doesn't mean always affirming. Honoring means bringing into out of shame into belonging. That's how you do it, right? So if you're always surrounded with people that look like you, think like you, and just say yes to everything you say yes to, you're going to feel great, but your growth and maturity is going to decrease. So interact with those that are different. You know where this is best put into practice? People you don't like. People you don't like, people you don't understand, people you don't seem to eye with, that's where bearing with one another in love comes to life. So family, Emmaus Church, that's the urgent call. That's the urgent call. I don't know who your friends are. I don't know who you're confiding, who do you confess to. I don't know any of that. But what I do know is that there is a God of truth that loves you enough, that doesn't let you go touch 
that hot stove. He's saying, child, you need me. And there are aspects of the dimensions of God's love, the depth, the height, the length, all the dimensions that Paul prays for the Ephesians that they would know that are impossible to understand and experience on your own. That multidimensional characteristic nature of God's love, you cannot experience it on your own. So that's the invitation. That's why you need community. That's why you are a gift to one another. And that's why you have to be aware of the enemy, aware of the lie so you don't fall for it. And that's why you have to say to others, wake up, wake up, O sleeper. That's my invitation for all of you, the urgent request. Spend time with his thoughts. Don't just take them for what I said, but go feast on them. Ask the Lord in the privacy of your life, how can I make this a reality in the one another life? Let's pray. Jesus, you are the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through you. Forgive us, because sometimes we think that we can do it on our own. That we know it all, that we can do it all. Thank you that you love us so much that you have given to us gifts, good gifts, people. Help us, because we know that growing in truth is not easy. Growth is painful. Exposure can bring shame, but your grace brings so much life and light and healing. Open our eyes to the reality of Christ and my brother and my sister and my leaders and those that serve Lord, may we start to look up and around. Even as we look inside, it's necessary to evaluate, to examine our own hearts, but we can only go so far. Moving us, you know the areas that you perhaps exposed today where you are believing lies. Can you call us out of that light, lie, out of that darkness into your everlasting life? in light and truth, we pray.